Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And Megan, let's shake our gree gree. Oh, mine. It is shooketh. My, my sack. Hold on. My sack wouldn't shake. I there we go. That. You were all lopsided. Sometimes it, you it gets it stuck. <laughs> That's what she said. Ugh. So, hey, welcome, everybody. This is yeah. part two. This is a part. It's actually a three parter. Wow. Let me just start off this episode by stuttering. Sorry it, about it's that. Okay. So this is a three-parter. If you have not listened to part one, you must stop us right now and go play. Go back one episode. Yep, go back one episode, please, and listen to part one because part two just won't have the same. It won't hit the same. It's just not going to land no. the same with y'all you if you don't. You need to know all the things. You do. You really do. This is part two of um, the Dave Peltzer story. If you're not familiar with him, you you got to look him up. You should be. Go back to part one. We familiarize you with him. And this story, so he has, we ended part one where finally he is being rescued from. Sa- he's being saved he's being from the saved. abuse. He, his, his words. His words. And, um, and that was a child called it. Yep, the book. The we book. covered the book written by Dave himself, The Child Called It. And now this episode is going to cover his other works, the sequel, The Lost Boy. And it's called uh, The Lost Boy, A Foster Child's Search for the Love of a Family by Dave Peltzer. And uh, we just we had ended on what Dave himself says in that his teachers saved him. He had a school nurse, a teacher, a principal, and a police officer that were all willing to save him from the horrific abuse that he was sustaining from age 4 to 12 in uh, by failure to protect by his father, but abuse from his mother. Mm-hmm. And we'll say that given the professions that we are in. We're giving you the actual facts. I don't know yep. how anybody else would look at that, but we're right. just letting you know what. In, in our a, definition. In our of, world, that's yeah. what it was. Yep, exactly. So as I said, uh, this part, this two-parter, we are covering um, The Lost Boy. And it opens, it, this book, he, he doesn't just start with his um, experience in foster care. He takes the reader back to show them some of the abuse that we did not talk about in part one, just in case, I think he did this intentionally, just in case someone did not read A Child Called It, so they could understand the depths of his abuse and why he needed saved. Okay. Sure. So I do want to talk about a, an incident that he opens this book with that he remembers. He was about nine years old. His mom kicked him out of the house when he was nine. He was all too happy to leave. Right. Of course. Because he never tried to run away. He didn't. So this time she's no. like, get out. Yep. The parents had had a big fight. All of their fights were typically, if they didn't start about Dave, they would 
end up at the topic of Dave and and his oh, mother's treatment. She'd blame him. Yep, and and his you know his mother's treatment of him. Father had a a big problem with the way that mom was treating Dave, and so they did often fight about it a lot. You should know that both of them suffered from alcoholism, and that is usually when the arguments would happen is after drinks had been poured. So he recalled how at nine, at the age of nine, she kicked him out. It's cold. He was happy to leave. He did leave. He was gone for several hours, but he ended up at a pizza place. Okay. And it's interesting because how many child abuse books have we read and covered, Megan, that when they do run away or are kicked out, they do end up at pizza places. It this is. is like the third one that I've, I can recall just if, off the top of my I head. If I have to leave my house suddenly, you can damn well bet I might want to be at the pizza yep. place. Yep. So this, how this happens, he is, you have to know he's emaciated. Okay. He does not look his age. He looks a lot younger. He's being starved and his clothes are rotten. And when I say rotten, I mean literally rotten. He's not allowed to change his clothes, so they are moldy. They are holy. They are dirty and smelly. He's not allowed to bathe. He's not, except for his waterboarding treatments where he is forced to sit for hours in a freezing cold tub. But other than that, he's not bathing and his clothes are not being washed. So here he is in this, in this, um, pizza place and the owner promises him a pizza essentially he does kind of tell the the owner some story about how his mom doesn't treat him right right so the owner in Dave's eyes he feels like the the restaurant employee I believe it was the pizza owner of the restaurant um understood like knew what he was going through like like there was a camaraderie there, like he had maybe been through it before. Sure. Or this wasn't the first kid that's escaped to a pizza place. Possible. Yep, possible. But what the the good intending pizza guy does is call the police, yeah. thinking the police would help. Okay. That's kind of what I would do. Absolutely. And so he does. And he gets he does get a pizza, but he does um call the police officer. You know, the police do come. Unfortunately, the police officer calls mom and dad. Oh, he ran away. So dad comes and gets him. Well, that's better than the alternative. It is. It is. Of course, they do, of course, tell the police that he ran away, not that he was kicked out. Okay. So then, of course, the police officer is like, don't ever scare your parents like that again. And just really chastising him like it's his fault, which we see time and time again. Um, And the story besides why they said he ran away was that they said uh, he wasn't allowed to ride his bike. And so that's why he, he ran away. Nothing he you didn't, say surprises He didn't me. have a bike. No. Y'all, like, here he is wearing ripped ripped jeans a holy shirt it's covered he's covered in marks and bruises and this is the story and the police officer just overlooks it all and is like okay here you go dad okay that's a hard pill to swallow this day and age but I will gently remind you as we did in part one you got to think of the times this is 1969 at this point in time 1970 somewhere between there so yeah it's hard now, at this point in time, da- his dad does yell at him, 
for putting his mother through this, quote, can't you just stay out of trouble? Can't you just make her happy? And can you please just do that for me? End quote. Because any time that Dave is, is accused of making mother unhappy, it then makes dad's life hell because right. they get into a fight. And this is his the reality of his life until he was 12 years old when the personnel at Thomas Edison Elementary interview him, they intervene, they call the police, and yes, he was terrified to go with the police officer that day because he did not want to know what the mother, that's what in his mind, remember how I talked about in part one, how in the beginning of fifth grade, he really started to dissociate yes. his feelings. He couldn't feel, he couldn't even feel physical pain anymore. He called her the mother. Well, he was the boy or he was it the boy in the or basement. It. So. Yep, yep. We didn't talk about that a lot in part one, um, mostly because I think his title, the title of his book tells you. It sums it up. Yep, um, that he was called it or the boy often because she had to dehumanize him to her herself and her family in order to be able to justify and carry out her acts. But the police officer tells him, you're free, David. Your mother is never going to hurt you again. Now, the police officer took him outside the city, city to the county hospital where doctors and nurses were absolutely shocked at his state. Um, a nurse helped bathe him, could see that his body was covered in bruises in various states of healing. His fingers and his hands were raw. They were peeling away from the cleaning chemicals from his because how how his childhood how what his reality is at this time is that if he is not sitting on his hands in with his head back in a prisoner of war position at the on the basement steps then he is cleaning obsessively over and over again he is not allowed to watch tv he's not allowed to play with toys he's not allowed to talk to or interact with any of the family members or go outside anything like that okay um, now the doctor did pinch, pinch the top of his fingers and he couldn't, excuse me, the tip of his fingers, miss, oh, okay. I, I miswrote that, um, the tip of his fingers and he couldn't feel it. Okay. All right. So he's, he's got some permanent nerve damage going on yeah, some, um, some in some his fingers. Neuropathy, is mm -hmm. that what they call it? Yep. <clears throat> they did, you know, blood work, x-rays, everything. He definitely noticed how the nurses couldn't care for him without crying. Um, Ugh. the doctor even made sure that the police were not returning him to his mother. Okay. It's bad enough. Now this whole time we have told you how often do you no think they've one, seen this type of child right. abuse? No, no, they don't. That's, that's just it. We've told you this whole time how be given how it was in society, you didn't intervene with family. And now that this child has had a full medical workup, the doctor is saying, you're not returning him, right? And your nurses are crying. crying. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, we've been there. Absolutely. You've been in those homes where you, you yes. keep your shit together and then you get home and hug your kids and ball. Right. Because you can't believe you just saw that. Exactly. Or that that child just said that and you know that's their reality. You got yes. it. 
yes, I do talk about it a little bit in my interview with Dave, but Megan and I had a case extremely similar to this that we worked together on. And it might have been the case that solidified our lifelong friendship. Possibly. I mean, truly, it it might have been. I was a mega bitch during that criminal trial too. And it just felt so good because they deserved it so much. So yes, I think that solidified the fact that we also could be angry. Mm Mm-hmm. In a way that made us a win. I got death threats posted on social media for removing that child. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I recall. They were going to burn my house down. Yep. Bring a torch. Yep. I'll have the marshmallows. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Do you you like dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Exactly. Which would you like? So, um, he recalled the doctor handing him cream for his arms and said, this is all I can do for now. If you recall, his mother did hold his arms over um, the fire, the, fi- the, stove. You know, the gas stove, and it it was never treated correctly, you know. But also, his arms are raw and peeling and itchy and red, and he had no idea. He didn't remember a time when his skin wasn't like that, so he didn't know. And I know this might sound odd, guys. But when that's your reality for so long, you forget what it's like to not have itchy, raw red skin right yeah so he got a cream uh for that and the officer originally takes him to a foster home that was run by a woman referred to as aunt mary um she had um he recalls excuse me my handwriting is so atrocious sometimes (laughs) that i this is what happens when you take notes by hand that's right uh it was still it was still fun so He recalled the very first night having a nightmare about the mother killing him because he still can't believe and really solidify into his reality, Megan, that he's safe. Yeah. Yep. Um, He started to, quote, sleep. And you're going to recognize this right away, as are anybody else who has worked with trauma, uh, who's been trauma informed. We're I'm going to start describing for you behaviors that we know are indicative of trauma. All right. He starts to sleep in that uh, position where he, where they hold their knees and they rock back and forth. Okay. Oh, I know. And, and he, this is the only way that he can put himself to sleep. He can't just lay down and just be comfortable in the bed. He's got to hold his knees close to his chest for security. He's got to rock back and forth and he's humming. While he's looking out the window, Um, he's scared to fall asleep because he's scared of having that dream again uh, that she, you know, killed him. He's scared that he's going to wake up and that his reality will be that he wasn't saved. Right. All of the things, all the things. Now, he talks about his CPS worker his his social worker miss gold is who he i don't know if that's her real name some names were changed in his books for privacy and he calls her his angel and there were many times where i cried uh reading this book because it triggered the case for me yep. that you and i are talking about because that particular child i can remember wanted to wear to his court hearings a t-shirt that said I love my investigator. Right. Because, and he would tell me that I saved him and it never felt right to me to, that, that I did that. I mean, he was brave enough to speak up. He saved himself. I was just in the position 
to, you also, to do the legal work. And we're going to get to it um, in part three in Dave's interview, but let me just throw this out there. You're also dealing with uh, an adolescent boy who's preteen. Yes. Who this beautiful angel savior, and who knows what she actually looked like, but to him, she was beautiful, saved him. How can you not half be in love with a person who is yes. this amazing, right? And he it may t- not even be an erotic kind of thing. No. This is just a love. It's like, a I love, love at you. first sight. It is. Like you, you saved my life. Uh-huh. You're glowing right now. Yes. Yep. And he talks, he does call her beautiful in the, um, book and he I mean he does write it very romantically about how well, he's a romantic fellow he is a romantic in fella. his writing and everything mm-hmm, else mm-hmm. um he he does talk about how he just he loved her because she was his first safe place Megan they would sit for hours talking she gave him space to just be able to be himself, find out who he really is under all of that abuse and all of those things that he didn't deserve. Who is Dave, you know, but tell his story at the same time. And he talked about how many sessions were really long and he feels like Mrs. Gold was his best friend because it's a first person that he's been able to confide in and trust really right so it doesn't that doesn't surprise me but it just it moved me the way that he talked about her and the way that she legally fought for him and whatnot and I know part of that is because of my own triggers but it just but But don't you don't we all want Mm. t-shirts now that say be a miss gold yes be a miss gold just be a miss gold you also have to remember it's 1973 so remember the time the court is different than it would be today um now that he's been removed the mother did draw and i'm just going to call i'm going to refer her to that as that the mother from now on because that's what he did Mm -hmm. so the mother drops off clothes for um for him to go to court now she would not look at him she also would not call him by his name to aunt mary the foster mother she still called him the boy now aunt mary picked up on this and would repeatedly emphasize his name over and over again to, Dave to her mm-hmm. Dave however the phone rings the mother's over for a visit dropping these clothes off the phone rings and Aunt Mary leaves them alone in the living room oh, I'm yep it happens it did and in it and it shouldn't but it did so the mother grabs him really close threatens him um tells him like I will get you back. I will get you back. Okay, just warning him. I'm going to get you back, mm-hmm. and your life is going to be hell. You thought it was bad then? It's only going to get worse. Oh, just wait till you come home. Yep. When Aunt Mary came back in the room, of course, she acted all lovely and charming, as we would expect. Um, he then recalled being, after that visit, he sat in his room, and all he could do was sit with his knees to his chest and rock back and forth, whispering his threat of I'll get you back, or her threat of I'll get you back, I'll get you back over and over again. Because at this point you're thinking, oh my God, what have I done? I'm safe, but for how long? But for how long? He doesn't understand the court system. No. He belie- of course he's going to believe the mother, right? That, I mean, she, she is terrifying. She is a monster. She is going to come and get me. He is 12. I want to point out again, even though I know it doesn't have anything to do with Dave's story itself, but this would not happen now 
no. you wouldn't be dropping clothes off there. Your nope. worker would be going to get your personal belongings. Right. And I'll tell you else what wouldn't happen. She wouldn't have her other kids. No. They all would have been exactly. removed because in social service cases now, it's a specific law. Evidence of how one child is treated can be used to show evidence of how you would treat other children. So that means you pick one kid to be your scapegoat, all of your kids are getting removed. Mm -hmm. Someone else is going to become the scapegoat when you remove the scapegoat, right? After this visit, he could not eat. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't focus at school. This is a trauma trigger. Yeah. Okay. This is common. We know that now. Didn't know that then. And this will not surprise you, Megan. He recants to Mrs. Gold. Not shocked at all. No. Even after hours of sitting and telling his story. And it was beautiful how he wrote it. She was so tender with him. Because, yes, he's 12 in body, but he's not 12 in mind. All right? He's smart. But emotionally, he's younger than 12. God, emotionally, he's four. He would literally lay in her lap and, like, play. Like, she had real long hair. Uh-huh. He would twirl her hair around his fingers and just chat and just tell her about his life. And now after this visit with mom, he's taking it all back. And Mrs. Gold is devastated. Yeah. She's bawling. Because she him. knows. Yes. She, he recalls even watching her leave. I mean, she's so upset. And she's like, Dave, there comes a time in people's life where you have to make important decisions that impact the rest of your life and this is one of them for you like you I know you're only 12 but it's important that you tell the judge the truth and so he recalled watching her get into the car that day and just crying beating her hands on the steering wheel and bawling because she knows it's 1973 and she knows that no matter possibly no matter what she tells the judge he has to also tell the truth. You got it. So, or they're going to return him. Yes, and in which was what he was just threatened she, with, right? And she even told him that that she will get you back if you don't tell the truth. You have got to tell the truth. So let's talk about the court hearing, please. Okay. Let's. Now this is a court hearing. It's much different now, y'all. But this is a court hearing where essentially the Everyone is in the same room, okay? Dave is sitting with his abuser, with his mother, who is dressed to the nines, okay? Who's putting on an act like she is a perfect mother. And how dare this rotten boy try to have these allegations that, against me? Well, that still happens. It sure does. <laughs> it sure does. But it's not completely different. It's, it's not. But what is different is that he is going to have to testify and he's going to have to tell the truth. But I want you to know just what some of those professionals saw in that courtroom. Okay. Because Dave wrote his mother a letter. I'm going to read the letter to you. It says, and this is from his book, The Lost Boy, A Foster Child's Search for the Love of a Family by Dave Peltzer. And I'm quoting here. To mother, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for it to come to this. I didn't mean to tell the secret. I didn't mean to hurt the family. Can you ever forgive me? Your son, David. Okay. Miss Gold. I have goosebumps. Miss Gold read the note, nodded, giving, and I'm still quoting here, giving me permission to give the note to mother. I shuffled over to mother, becoming a child called it once again, with my hands stuck to my side and my head cocked down towards the floor. I waited for mother to say something, to yell at me, snap her fingers, anything. 
She didn't even acknowledge my presence. I itched my head, inched my head upward, moving my eyes up her body and stuck my hand out, holding my note. Mother snatched the paper, read it, then tore it in half. And she did this in court. In front of everyone. End quote. Yes. She ripped the note up in front of the social workers, in front of the lawyers. In front of the judge? I don't know if the judge was in there at the time. I don't know what my reaction would be to that. So now <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you uh, right now. I know. Yep. I might have to excuse myself from the bench for a moment here. <laughs> I got to gather my effects. <laughs> I got to get me a breather. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the judge at the time gave him the choice to become a ward of the court or to go home with mom. So with his mom right there looking at him, he also understood socially at the time of what it means to have a child in foster care. That means embarrassment to the family, okay? The room was silent while they were all waiting for his answer. And he finally answers, you, sir, I want to live with you. To the judge? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Because, of course, he didn't understand what a ward of the court court. You, I'd rather live with you. And I would be up there going, okay. Right, right. (laughs) Okay, baby, you come home with me. (coughs) Excuse me. No, it's just in loco parentis. Somebody else is going to make those decisions for you, sweet pea. Yeah, yep. But how cute that that was his Mm -hmm. understanding of it. Yep, you, sir. I want to live with you. And so the judge ordered that he signed for him to be a ward of the court. His mom hugged him and said goodbye. And she even gave him new clothes and toys. Of course, she's in front of the social worker. She's in front of the media, all of that. My naughty bad boy decided to be a court ward Mm -hmm. instead of coming to live with me. He's a terrible child. She even said, I'll miss you. Uh, And Dave. She might. Yeah. And Dave replied, I'll miss you too. Okay. All very normal exchanges. But of course... I firmly believe that the new clothes and toys, not only was that just her ploy of trying to show how much of a liar this child is, because look at what a good mother I am that I'm giving him clothes and toys, but also it's just another one of her ways to to screw his mind over of, you know. Yeah, that was his parting. Mm-hmm. You, you always wanted love and affection from me and here you've chosen not to take it, and so I'm just going to give you that little snippet to show. Yeah, but you recently threatened him yeah. that it would be ever so worse should right. he come home. So his at least adolescent brain made a decision there. Yep. I'd rather live with you, sir, a stranger <laughs> whom I don't know because I don't understand what a ward of the court means specifically at my age, and I don't know you, but okay, I'll choose okay. you. A big judge, a male masculine judge I'll in, live with you. in robes and, and everything. I'll choose you. Yeah. I mean, that Just should think tell of the something. gravity of this. Uh-huh. Yep. So Aunt Mary's house is where he lived um, from the, you know, in the beginning with other kids that um, were Had there. Removed. Yes. And it's where, it's through the other kids that he kind of learned what the prejudice of society at the time of being a foster child meant. So um, he did isolate himself at school. He watched the other kids play. Um, he Remember, he really loved school. It was a really good escape I for know. him. He no longer took to his studies like he used to. He really wanted acceptance from the older foster kids in the home. And so he used his skills to impress them. And the skill that he really had, Megan, was stealing. Sure. Because, you know, survival, he right? He was stealing food since he was little. That's right. 
And so the older foster kids in the home thought it was pretty amazing that he could steal candy bars, and I mean a lot of candy bars, without ever being caught. He had the hookup. So it got him some praise. Oh, yeah. So, of course, that led to Who do you look for? Who do you look for for a Snickers? Somebody go find Pelzer. Exactly. He's got the stash under his bed. Yep. And it got around school. Yeah. Soon school kids are coming up to him, asking him to steal stuff for them. He was all too happy to to oblige because he wants social acceptance. Dave, thank you for dealing in stolen chocolate. It could have been drugs. Like, legit, man. Sure could have. That's the most wholesome theft I've ever heard of right there. (laughs) Absolutely. And it was done with intentions of just trying to fit in with other children, which he had not been taught how to do yet because he had been isolated his entire childhood from social interactions. You got it. So don't understand normal peer pressure mm-hmm. or peer acceptance and how we work through those things with our little hormones going off like crazy. Absolutely. So his first official foster parents, because Aunt Mary's was just kind of a temporary, you know, placement. As it would be. They, at mm-hmm. least in that time frame, were still looking for a family-like setting. Yes. It wasn't, they were, we were starting to leave institutionalization in terms of foster care at this point. Yes. Yep. So he goes to stay with Lillian and Rudy. Now, I'm sorry if I butcher this last name. Cat, how would you pronounce that? Catanese? C-A-T-A-N-Z-E. Catanza? I don't know. Catanza? Catanza? Catans? Maybe Catans. Seems seems Italian to me. Oh, it's definitely got to be Italian. I dig it. It makes me hungry. I bet she was a great Next time we talk to Dave, I'll ask him how to pronounce that. But Lillian and Rudy. Anyway, so this is his first official foster care. And I want you to remember. um, Keep remember Lillian and Rudy? Well, just just that this is his first... um, you know, he he was was fine with all of his foster. This is his first family setting. This is his first family setting. Yeah, exactly. He learned in this setting as he watched, because they had other foster children. Yeah. Okay. So this is where he learns that as a foster child, you want to keep all of your possessions very close to you. A, because foster, other foster children may steal them. Yes. And B, because at any given time. You can move. You can move. Your social worker will show up, tell you to pack your stuff, and if you leave something anywhere, it becomes another foster child. It's just gone. He described pack means throw things in a garbage bag. At this point, by the it way, does. guys, it does. So Lillian, he talks about how Lillian got one hundred and twenty-seven dollars for the entire year for taking him in, and she took him to the mall shopping for clothes. Yes, and he was so excited. He treated them like gold. He talked about how he would fold them and unfold them and rearrange them in his dresser drawers because he's never had clean new clothes just to himself before. And these are his possessions that he is just so in love with that he doesn't want to lose. Right. He slept with them, like everything, all the things. I remember getting new school clothes and I like wanted to sleep with them in my bed. So it's a thing. I wanted to fashion show those things. Oh, me too. To everyone in my house. Yep. Um, he loved Lillian. She taught him how to have manners, how to be more human rather than survival human. Because you got to think, he doesn't have table manners. No. He was never allowed to eat at a table. He doesn't no, he know how to, to eat at a table. He had to hurry and eat the scraps he within at 30 seconds before they before were taken he, from And before him. he got caught. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy for him. He had to be taught how to slow down and chew food. Okay. Because he would just swallow it whole. Amen. It's, it's survival. Um, he did hoard food 
of course, which at the time was not understood like it is today. We would expect, actually, a child in Dave's situation, when we place in a foster home, we would absolutely give the foster parents a heads up on what you can expect to see. Yes. And food hoarding would be one of them yes. in his situation. Because he just doesn't know. Instinctively, he's going to hoard it because he doesn't know. When one of next the solutions to from. that now is to do um, t- a grazing table where you literally have food out all the time and you try to let them know. Uh, and they may still take it and hide it in their room, yep. which you're really not supposed to just let it go yes. until they realize that they have access to food all the time. But those grazing yep. tables help. These these are all the snacks. See yes. them right here? You're welcome to them anytime. Anytime you want. Mm-hmm. These are all the snacks that you can have. Yep, yep. And it's just, it's going to, what it takes is that survival instinct to calm down. It's aggravated right yeah. now. It's it's inflamed, okay? And so the inflammation, until the inflammation goes away, he's going to feel that instinct to need to hoard, yep. right, And for survival. So um, I will say that his mom and his brothers did come to visit at Lillian's once in a while. But she always stayed by his side and she always put the mother in her place. So he's finally like he can see like the protectiveness. That yeah, I want to point out to everybody who's wondering how this is happening right now. There was not a termination of parental rights. Nope. He was made what we call here in, in Michigan, a PA Public Act 150 ward. So he's a ward of the court. Yep. But there's not a termination of parental rights that has occurred. No. No. In fact, now you can actually order support. Like she could have been made to pay, both of them could mm-hmm. have been made to pay child support. I doubt that was being done back in the 70s. Right. But again, remember, her parental rights are intact so that she could come and see him at this point. Yep. And they stay intact. He's never adopted. I know. Yeah. He's never adopted. No, he was so a court ward. He was. As he started to learn how to trust Lillian, he starts opening up about the truth of what his life was like with the mother. Now, Lillian instinctively knew that he needed to see a mental health professional to help him get through what and a get it all out. aggressive foster mm-hmm. parent in yep. that time frame. Unfortunately, though, Megan, the first psychiatrist that he sees is not good at all and likely traumatized him even more. You can read about it in the book, the back and forth. When I was reading it, I was just like, oh, my God, I was picturing this dude in a tweed jacket with leather elbow patches, smoking a cigar, not understanding a goddamn thing about mental health. It was just collecting a paycheck because his Oh, what did you do to deserve all the beatings that your mother gave you, Dave? I just can't believe that that was a real psychiatrist. Because even at that time frame, who is going to phrase a question to a child? What did you do to deserve you, this? You would think. You, I know. At the very least, could the question have been, do you feel like you deserved that? So that you could delve into feelings, yeah. right? But and that's not yeah, how it's worded. And why do you think that your mother abused and tortured you, Dave? Well, Dave can tell you that now why he thinks so, but he was 12. 12. Yeah, exactly. I'm so sorry that he had such a terrible experience with a psychiatrist. Experience with a psychiatrist, yes, which, as I'm sure you're not surprised to hear. It triggered him. What? And and he really, you know, he, he it didn't do any good whatsoever and didn't help at all um, any of his trauma triggers. Now, he did start doing chores for money, and this is really where he learns that you have the power to create your own reality. You have to work for what you want. You get paid. You can have things that others have as long as you work for it, like a bike. He loved his bike. He rode it all the time. Lillian would watch him ride it all the time. When things went wrong with it, he would earn the money to get the parts to fix it. 
and he just really um, he started to learn from the other foster kids that like when you're 18 you're out man so you got to figure out it's up to you to survive okay yeah. and it's something that really stuck with him through his adolescence of I have to work like I this I have and to survive what a freaking work ethic yeah oh yeah yeah um, and he actually, even at like 14 and 15, had multiple jobs. Correct. He would go from multiple jobs yes. to multiple. Yes. He didn't, he still didn't have necessarily a typical childhood. Um, now, he did get into some trouble with his bike, but it's like normal kid trouble, okay? He learned what a grounding was, but uh, to him, right? that was nothing compared to the torture his, that the mother had put him through. Can you imagine trying to actually discipline an abused yep. child mm -hmm. what can you possibly do that's like you, you yep. want to say dude anything you do to me doesn't hurt me and legitimately and you can like, and then you grounded that's right. it that's then you have to explain means? dave i'm not trying to hurt you yeah, i'm exactly. actually not i'm i'm giving you a consequence so that you learn what happens in a normal society yes. after you break a rule yep. But this it's, kid it, is like, break a rule. Like, I had to drink ammonia. Right. I was put in a gas chamber, basically, mm -hmm. and I was stabbed. For sure. So. Yeah. And, and excessively beaten. So you're just telling me that grounding means I can't ride my bike outside of the house and I can't go after see After 8 p.m. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, that's oh, fine. Okay. And, and he talks about how he definitely didn't make it easy for oh. his parents. But at the same token. <laughs> teenagers aren't easy like it's shocking it's interesting because at the end of the book you will there is a letter from um, one of his foster moms and it's just so endearing because she's like well yeah I mean there were there were times where he got in trouble just like there is for all kids but he really was him as a person he's a good kid and he's, he's a, a good, good man person. yeah and I just I, I loved that in uh, Lillian and Rudy's home, he is still stealing things for admiration. Oh. And by sixth grade, um, he does talk about how he kind of got caught up with a hard crowd at school for attention because those are the kids that he resonated with the most. Makes sense. Well, the, the rougher kids are more accepting. They and are. And foster kids had a stigma. Not only that, but the rougher kids can recognize that they can get him to do things that they themselves are too scared to do. The impulsivity of a regular teenage boy, which is just going to be normal, mm -hmm. but couple that with the fact that he's a trauma brain kid. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You know, exactly. it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be exacerbated. So his, his whole impulsivity is going to be shocking. He didn't get in more trouble than, than he did, to be quite honest. Well, let me tell you about his, this is his biggest trouble okay. that he gets in. All right. He had made friends with the tough guy in school that just hated, this guy had a, a chip on his shoulder, hated all the teachers, <sighs> yes. kept talking about how he wanted to burn the school down. Yep. And Dave talks about how, you know, it was this kid's idea. Like he's talking about how he's burning the school down. And then, then the kid kind of flips the script and is like, well, Dave's going to burn the school down. And the next thing Dave knows, he's talking about burning the school down because he's liking all the kids gathering around him. Right. And like the attention that he's getting from it. But he had no intentions of actually burning the school down, but he liked talking about it and feeling big. Yeah. Until one day he's no longer fantasizing about it. And all of a sudden his friend is running down the hall. He had started a fire. His friend did? His friend. Dave did not start the fire. Right. Nope. But his friend had started the fire in a lab and... The same fire that exited. Dave was bragging about yes. going to start to other people. Exactly. I and feel so another scapegoat incident coming on. <laughs> for sure. And he did try to put it out. 
right. Dave did. Yes, Dave yeah. tried. Yep. And like, then oh, shit, this was not yes. what was supposed to happen. Then he's running down the halls telling other kids to go get help, to go get, you know, um, to evacuate, like, all that stuff. Well, so, obviously, the school, he's, like, he literally has soot on him. Okay. The other kids started the fire and fled. Dave was trying to put it out. Um, Lillian and Rudy, of course, get a call about this. The teach I will say this. He does make note that the teachers do say, and so do the social workers, they suspected that there was another person involved. Of course. All right. But this whole time you need to know once this gets out there, this gives his mother some fuel. Yes, it does. Now she starts flipping the script and saying, oh my gosh. He's a delinquent. Do you know how many times he tried to burn my house down too? Now that never happened. Only when he tried to light him on fire. Oh, right, right. If by burn the house down, you mean by his body that you were holding over the the flame. flame. Mm -hmm. But now she starts, this is what I've been trying to tell all of you people. This is what I, I was justified in the way that I treated him because he is a complete mongrel delinquent as you said and she made up a bunch of stories of how many times he had tried to arson her house okay so Lillian's husband Rudy actually had to drive him to because he's got a caseworker he gets put in juvie right all right so he had to go to the same as one would because it's kind of arson it is it is so he's accused of it. He hasn't had the court hearing yet, but he gets put in the um, San Mateo County Juvenile Hall. All right. His father visits him there. The visit does not go well. He tells him that his mother is using this incident at school as justification for why she treated him this way and that she wants the court to commit him to a mental hospital, which she knows would be torture for him and vindication for her correct because she is suffering the social stigma of a child in foster care right it, news has gotten out of the allegations that he's made against and her And now she can blame it on his behavior that's right a mental health professional at the juvenile hall even told him that if his father signs consent then it would be easier um to have him committed both parents needed to sign right, right? So the dad is going there saying, you've got to understand the position that you've put me in here because your mom wants me to sign this. The mental health professionals are telling me that I should sign this because it would be easier to get you treated. Why can't you just stay out of trouble? And so the thing is, though, is that his dad knows that he doesn't belong in a mental ward. His dad knows everything that his mother did to him. Correct. He was a witness, if not an accomplice. I shouldn't even say everything. His dad only knows the half of what she really did to him because he wasn't there for a majority of it. And what he did see was bad enough to know that this kid doesn't belong in a mental ward. Right. That he absolutely needs to be out of that house and that this was her doing, right? He also doesn't like that this is making his life hell. Yes, they are still separated because remember they separated yes. just before he was rescued. Okay. But it's still not he's still sharing kids with this woman, right? The good news is his father does not sign to have him committed. All right. So it's going to be up to the judge of what happens here. Now, Lillian comes to visit him in juvie, and she literally risks her foster care license to warn him not to accept visits from his mother 
and to not sign anything at all. He, she comes out and tells him the truth about what his mother is trying to do. And I do. He probably didn't have, did he have an attorney at that point? They ne- he never mentions it. He may not remember, but right. now you would have a GAL, which is a guardian ad litem. Um, even in juvenile delinquency cases, they're kind of your attorney, but they also are looking out for your best interest. And he shouldn't have had any type of uh, conversations really with anybody without legal counsel at that right. point. Right. Even though it's a juvenile, that's a criminal charge. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read you a okay. an expert excerpt. All right. A little, little, little quote here from The Lost Boy, Foster Child's Search for the Love of a Family by Dave Peltzer. Says, quote, understand this, this and this is Lillian, his foster mother, <clears throat> talking to him. Understand this. You're in for the fight of your life. If your mother can convince the county that it's in their best interest, she'll have them put you in a mental institution. If that ever happens, Lillian's face suddenly erupted in a fury of tears. I want you to know this. I don't care what anybody, anybody tells you. Rudy and I are fighting for you and we'll do whatever it takes. If we have to hire a lawyer, we'll do it. If we have to go to hell and back, we're prepared to do that too. We're here to fight for you. That's why we're foster parents. Lillian stopped for a moment to collect her thoughts. She then began in a low, calm voice. David, I don't know why it is. But for some reason, a great deal of individuals look down on foster care. And those people believe that you children are all bad. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in foster care. And if they can keep you out of their society, well, the better for them. You understand, don't you? End quote. So she, this is her visit that she has with him. I love it, though, because she told him, she told him how it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She tells him to just be himself for the professionals and the judge and to keep his cool in court no matter what is said about him or how many lies are told. And I think that is a very important information. Absolutely. Because in court, the judge decided not to commit him to the mental institution, okay? And he did not sentence him for the arson because there was no direct proof that he did it true right but he did give him 34 more days in juvenile detention and that's it that was his sentence but now i do have to tell you the mom's the mother's outburst and this is another quote from the book okay quote this is right after the um the hearing the court hearing Without warning, mother stopped in front of Gordon, that is his probation officer, and me. You're wrong. You're all wrong. You'll see. I warned that social worker broad, and now I'm warning you, mother screeched, as she thrust her finger at Mr. Hutchinson. That's Gordon Hutchinson, the um, probation Probation officer. officer. He's bad. He's evil. You'll see. And next time, he'll hurt somebody. The sooner that boy is dealt with, the sooner you'll see that I was right and I didn't do a damn thing wrong. You're fooling yourself if you think this is the end of it. You watch. There's only one place for that boy. You'll see. Then she stormed out of the room, yanking Kevin. Remember baby Kevin? I remember baby Kevin. Yanking Kevin behind her. I inched my way to Gordon, whose face was chalk white. Where does your mother live? And he replied, at home, I replied. 
Oh, Gordon asked as he raised his eyebrows. The home you burned? Yeah. Quote. Funny. So he's, Gordon is, Gordon Hutchinson, his probation officer, is seeing through her. Of course. You know? I, I think most as people were. As all of were. us would, yeah. But keep, keep in mind, too, and in, in he doesn't touch on it in this book. These are things that happened in, like, interviews and such that I've watched later. But most of his family that he has left believes her version of the incident um, in that I think his siblings were so, so young, at least those those younger ones were, that Absolutely. they were raised their entire life being told, oh, he got himself in trouble mm-hmm. because he tried to burn something down and that's why he doesn't live with us. So and, exactly what she they, wanted exactly, everybody to think. And she didn't, it, it, they, the beatings and things like that, first of all, she didn't do a majority of that in front of the other kids. No. But, but also when she did, we have to think about the trauma brain on the siblings. They will have more than likely blocked that out yeah. for their own survival well, and coping. And just brainwashed that when they saw him in spots that were abusive, like the ice baths and sitting on yeah. his hands for hours and not being fed. Not, not being allowed Christmas And not presents. being allowed Christmas to them it had done something bad. It had done something bad. It had ruined the holidays for everything. The The boy was to blame. That's and right. that's what they, it was, that's um, what they it was in, instilled yep. in their head. Absolutely. That's how their memory was controlled. So after Juvie, he did go back to Rudy and Lillian's and he was happy, but he did notice that the foster kids treated him different now that he had been to Juvie. Oh yeah. He's a badass. He's now. badass now. And buy you a leather jacket, Fonzie. I know. I was picturing a leather jacket. It's <laughs> funny that you say that. 1974, um, his probation officer, Gordon Hutchinson, uh, did remove him from Lillian and Rudy's home because he struggled with the other kids. Oh, no. Yes. Um, and social services actually needed his spot for another kid that was just getting out of juvie. Um, so he was going to a home that had less children. So he goes to Harold and Alice Turnboss home. Remember those names. Um, they did not really have room for him, like when they showed up. Um, and so they're contemplating, they're like, we only have girls here. And they had a 17-year-old uh, girl at the place with them at the time. And he was so excited to just, he, it's, and it's not that he didn't like Lillian and Rudy. But he was excited to be in a different home with less kids. And so when Harold made a comment about how, well, I guess he could share with this 17-year-old girl being eager to please and just wanting to be accepted, Dave was like, oh, yeah, I don't mind. And Harold took that as a red flag that he was, like, too eager to to share a room. Yes, as a teenage boy. And so... He got to sleep on the couch for a couple of nights. I think it was like four nights before he was shipped to his next placement. Okay. Um, so he goes to Joanne and Michael Null's place. Again, some of these names might be changed for privacy. I don't know. But this place. But they're the names that Dave used in the book. Yep. Yep. This placement did not last long due to the Nulls getting a divorce over Mr. Null's affair. Oops. Yep, so that so then I'm he, sure they were great foster parents, but yep, just things went yep, sideways. There were there were fights, yeah. So he gets moved to a home that's literally like a block from his mom's. No. Not good. No. Not good. No, you guys, this wouldn't happen. It now. it wouldn't now. Unless no. they were in a family 
uh, kinship placement. Uh, yes. And yeah. And this so obviously never say is never. not. Yeah. This obviously is not. But Mr. This was Mr. And Mrs. Jones. Now, this didn't last long because the home actually got shut down due to sexual abuse allegations made against Mr. Jones. Now, no one really believed that they were true. But of course, we know how all of that goes and who I don't know the specifics of it. Dave doesn't. Sometimes it is true. Sometimes it is. We've true. had those happen, too. We're exactly. not going to sit here and say that it doesn't. Yeah. The reason that I put that in there is because there was a state like Gordon, Gordon and the other not Gordon, um, the older kids in that home were like, you got to pack your bags, your bag, dude, this place is getting shut down. If you ask me, I think it's a load of crap. That girl was never alone with Mr. Jones. But, you know, so that's information. These are his memories. Sure. These are his memories. Yeah. And so that's why I, I included that. Um, so he goes back to Harold and Alice Turnbaugh's house. Right. Who had right? the 17-year-old foster yes. placement. And they have a couch. So he's back on the couch. Now, he's happy here. And he really liked the school, um, but the problem is, is that it's day by day for him. He was told that this was temporary, just like it was last time, until another placement, you know, opens. I up. know and love those people. We yes. have temp what they considered temporary foster yep. p- placements. They never intend to keep kids longer. They're transition to they get are. them into a, a more permanent foster home. Yep, because sometimes there just aren't homes, y'all, and so we just need some place for these kids to stay until there is and an that's opening. What in these a home. people specifically sign up for. Yep. Um, so the thing is, is that he wouldn't unpack because he did not want to lose his worldly possessions. Um, he had had sure. a, he had had a pet turtle um, at Lillian and Rudy's that he accidentally left, and so that really left a mark on his heart. So he didn't. He just How lived out of. How do you pack a, up a turtle, man? Like it was in like a little box, and he just forgot the box. Yeah. Oh God! I hope someone found the turtle. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> okay. sure that. that but you're, you're right. Another foster kid did. accumulated the pet turtle. I know, and he lost it. Right. And so, um, he didn't, he didn't unpack. He had, he just lived out of this brown paper bag, essentially. He also talked about how he would not wash his clothes during the week because he didn't want his clothes being stuck in the washer or the dryer if if Gordon showed up to move him. So he would only wash his clothes on the weekends when he knew he was safe from being moved. I just want that realization to hit you all as to what it's like to be a a foster kid. Okay. It hit me right in the gut. So finally, after months, Alice and Harold want him permanently because the placement is going well. And kids need permanence for yes. the very reasons that you just put yep. in terms of the trauma that they're being caused. Okay. Caused. That's literally why we go through best interest findings when we terminate parental rights. And one of those things is, is this child in need of permanency? Right. Or right. can they wait longer? Mm-hmm. Their agreement, though, is that if he wants to stay, which he's happy there, is that he needs to see a psychiatrist. Oh. Because Alice can see that he he has things that he needs to get out. It's true. And, and she, he had a bad experience with one. And she promised that it's not going to be like the last one, and it wasn't. Dr. Robertson was great, helped him a lot, gave him helpful books to read on trauma and self-help. Yes. I think this is where he gets some inspiration. Trauma to knowledge in own. the 70s mm-hmm. even, right? Yep, exactly. But it helped him learn about himself and why he reacted the way he did in certain beha- you know, situations. He loved Alice and Her- uh, Harold Turnbaugh, and he worked really hard at various jobs to make money and support himself. Alice helped him learn skills to care for himself, like cooking. Um, and he really like felt for the first time what it was like to have a mom and a dad. Um, 
he almost had, he talks about how he almost had like an, an obsession with working and saving to be ready for when he turned 18 because he had seen what happened to other foster kids when, when they turn 18. In 1976, other, the Turnbaws take in two other boys that were 17. Now, these boys had it rough, don't know their life story, but they were stealing from Dave. Now, remember I said that he had various jobs. He worked very hard for his money, saved his money, enjoyed buying himself things and having things. So when these two 17-year-old boys come in and they start stealing, this is about a, this is a turning point for him because he is like, absolutely not. You know, he's also stubborn. And so he goes to Alice and Harold and says, it's either them or me. And a few weeks later, he's back in juvie as a temporary placement because they couldn't, he, he was so stubborn and they tried to explain to him, these boys need a home too. Let's just all get along, you know, but he was not having it. And so they so didn't really make the choice. They, they just, did not. He made he the choice. He made the choice because Dave, she didn't get, they didn't get right. rid of the other two foster places. Dave made the choice because they did not go with his um, ultimatum. Okay. All right. And so Gordon, his probation officer, takes him back to juvie until another place opens up with John and Linda Walsh. Not John Walsh from... I know. <laughs> but um, It they, occurred to me, but I didn't say it. <laughs> they moved to a nice neighborhood. Um, and one day he's minding his own business. He's fixing up his bike. And neighbors would basically come up to him and tell him that they didn't want his kind in their neighborhood. and that His he, kind? What, teenage boys? He, I know they meant foster kids, but did. it's just so shitty. Literally talked about how he was driving down their housing prices. Because. Isn't that disgusting? It is disgusting. Shame I'm so sorry that my you. terrible childhood made your SEV go down. Right. You asshole. Which isn't even a thing. Like, shut up. Why does everybody know everybody else's business? Taxable value of your house but I, went down my ass just because I got burned by my mother and stabbed you, mother. <laughs> sorry, I I'm know. just sorry. It's I'm just, awful. I'm going off on him for you, Dave. Humans are awful. Humans are awful. God. I will tell you this though: he did find a mentor in this neighborhood Good. who ends up being a lifelong mentor for him. Okay. Okay. And there is a letter from this this man at the end of his book as well. Another reason to pick it up because okay. um, it's beautiful. But this guy taught him manners like knocking on a door before you enter. Okay. Weird. Something as little of that can lead to yep. an entry without permission charge. That's, that's <laughs> like right. You gotta learn this stuff. Exactly. They also talked to him a lot about making his own future. At one point in time, he wanted to be a Hollywood stunt double, dub, stunt double, like stuntman. Impulse control, and high this, pain tolerance. Yes. I can see all of it for you, Dave. And, this, and there's always time. This guy was like, no, Dave. No, you're not. That is not what we're doing. Let's find a career. Uh-huh. This is not okay for you to do. Um, he did get a have a really good career at um, selling cars. And actually, he ends up making more money doing that, and he drops out of school because okay. he's not focused on his studies. He's not fitting in with kids there, of course. He's older than most of the kids in his grade at this point in time anyway. He's smart. He's a hard worker. He's self-sufficient. He mm -hmm. can make some fat cash. They were not happy about the dropping out of school, of by not. the way. But then they're even his mentor is even less happy about the, I'm going to go to Hollywood and be a stunt double. Stunt double, Yeah. 
Well, the John and Linda Walsh placement does not work out because of the fact that the two of them uh, regularly erupted into violent fights. Oh, no, we can't have that with foster parents. That's very triggering. And it ended up where um, Dave was protecting the Walsh's own three young children. Oh, so bad. From those fights. And he also was made to babysit them quite frequently. And so he he's done with this placement and, and goes back sheepishly to his real home with Harold and Alice Turnbaugh. Oh, were the 17-year-olds still there? Um, I don't we recall. Don't know. No, I'm not sure that they, they are, but this is his last placement. This is his home, and he knows it. Yeah. He actually talks in the book how he kept a paper um, with all of his placements, and when he would leave one, he would scratch the names and numbers out. And so he, when he goes back to Alice and Harold this time, he tears that paper up in front of them and says, I know my phone number, I know my, my address, which, of course, Harold jokes and says, okay, it's about time to move and change numbers then, you know. That's and, funny. And just like, cute. But he then decides as he's getting older that he would like to join the military. Yes. And um, he really wants to join the Air Force, but he realizes he cannot do that without a GED. Yep. So he does go back. He gets his GED. Probably not far hard for him at all. He was no, brilliant. He's brilliant. He, was he just didn't. Yeah, no problems graduating. He just no. was done with it. Exactly. Over it. Yep. So he does join the Air Force. He does excel. And as um, we know now, as we know now, yes. And they were all very proud of him for joining the Air Force. And and then the things that he did with his life after all of this are just so amazing. Now I will tell you this: he does see his father again. Um, he was 19 years old, and he went to the station that his father, the fire station that his father was stationed at, and begs him to give him information of where he will be. Um, he was told his father had retired. Now, he feared had, his father had been fired, but he hadn't. He had actually retired. Um, he did find him in a bar. Okay. He was a very sick, very broken man, um, but he, he made amends. With his dad, he understood he could look at his dad through a man's eyes of being 19 and seeing what what his life had turned into. And um, his dad had shared um, his fire badge with him, which he talks about in our interview, which is part three. So listen to that. Um, And I will tell you that he does have a son that he named Stephen, which was his father's name as well. They have a wonderful relationship. He has broken the cycle. And... um, he does have a home on the Russian River, which, which is where he did his interview with us from. So I know. you have to listen to you the know, third part. There's so many loose ends that we could get to here because you want to do- dive into at this point. Okay, what was actually going on with mom? And tell me about how he forgave his dad and all those things. But we're not going to do any of that right now mm-hmm. because that's what part three is yes, for. Why not sure hear it is. from the man from himself? Dave himself. Instead of listening to me speculate for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But I am going to, I'm going to end this part, this episode with his um, reading you again from his book, but it sums up his perspectives on foster care. And I think it's just so important for everyone to know because it would be very easy to judge the entire system of this time against what, you know, what happened to Dave, but yes. I want you to hear his, his words. So this is, again, a, I'm quoting from The Lost Boy. It says, quote, 
There is not a doubt in my mind that had I stayed with my biological mother much longer, I would have definitely been killed. Foster care was not only an escape, but literally a whole new world. At times, it was extremely difficult to adjust, for I never quite knew what to expect. As an adult survivor, I'm forever grateful to the system that so many in society ridicule without mercy. It would have been easy for me to exploit the weaknesses of social services and foster care and all that they entail. That was never the premise of the story, but rather to take the reader into a world rarely seen by the general public through the eyes of a tortured, programmed-to-fail child who is placed into the care of others. My social worker, Miss Gold, stayed etched in my mind simply because of her genuine concern for my safety and security. Though I thought reenacting my statements within, sorry, retracting my statements within days of my disposition was unique to my case. This is an everyday occurrence for most of those who work in her field. Very few people truly know what child protective services workers go through, end quote. And the reason I'm end quoting is because that is the point in the book where I lost it. Yep. And wanted to lose it again. Yep. Got it. And so um, I love that he is so right. He could have sat here through his story and he could have exploited how terrible it was that he was allowed to get all the way damn near through the fifth grade before anybody finally stuck up for him, right? That he was taken from placement to placement in foster care and instead... He chose to frame his story exactly where it needed to be framed on the abuse of the abuser. Yes. And how he fucking survived it. And how there were people that were willing to speak up and save him and do their jobs as well as the system that was built at the time would allow. You got it. Hit the nail on the head. And that he's thankful and grateful and resilient because of how he looks at this. Exactly. Exactly. He did this. He, his resiliency created the life that he has made for himself. Absolutely. And so I, it's, he is a phenomenal inspirational speaker. If you are having mindset problems, Go look up DavePeltzer.com. He's got all kinds of resources there. He does workshops. He has some available. He has self We're going to plug him in the next episode, but I can tell you that the other day, for no other reason other than I enjoyed talking to Dave so much, totally listened to his podcast while I was showering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I listen to us in the shower, but I listened to Dave in the yeah. shower the no, other you day. you listened to Dave. Yeah, yeah I listened to it too. I enjoyed it. Just inspirational. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you'll hear it in the, the interview episode, but he wants to become a regular guest on our show and we would love to have him um Often i think he's he got, wants to come and hang out with us i think he's got a lot of brilliant insight to bring to the world and i'm happy to have him anytime so. dave we'll we'll meet you at the house over on the on the river yeah. <laughs> we'll be there soon seriously exactly <laughs> i mean he did call us hotties so maybe he would be okay it's with us really why it's my favorite case now and he might be my favorite interview ever because people haven't said that that in a while uh, so for sure that was that was nice also, could you replay that? I think he asked for a picture of us, so we should oh, send let's, him a We'll totally pictures. send him a selfie. Yeah, right? something, something. <laughs> That's so awesome. Funny. He's He is a genuine, just a doll. So I hope that you guys uh, stick around for part three and enjoy listening to the interview episode um, with him. But until then. You're going to bathe me? Shall I bathe you? Yes. Give me a little bath.
So I this was sent to us by listener Donna. So she she is great. She sends us cases Love and yes. So this is um, a Huff Post and it's thirty two perfect tweets to celebrate International Cat Day, which I missed. I didn't realize when was International Cat Day. And why did I not honor my princess? It was January. It appears as though it was in January. January 24th. I'm sure she was honored that day. She's honored every day. You know, some of these, I'm just not sure. (laughs) Why are you (laughs) laughing? I don't know when International Cat Day is because these tweets are from various times. Okay. Because they found cat tweets in honor. Of International Cat Day. Oh, so okay. I'm, I'm not sure what day Fair it is. Enough. Yes, but but this one. My parents don't have any grandchildren yet, so this is what's on the bedside table in their guest bedroom. It is a framed picture of their cat. I love that. It's <laughs> a great idea. I might do that for the girls. You should. Oh, my god. You gosh. should send one, your, your son that's going away to college, you should frame a picture of the dogs and send it with them. Or send it oh to him gosh. in a care package. Should. You should. Yes. Also, he'll probably love it because will, it's one of the things kids miss, miss the most. Mm-hmm. It's not their parents. It's the comforts, like the yep, pets. The pets. Yes. And because uh, you can connect with other meals. people in your dorm room, but you lose the pet option. You do. You do. So. That's a good idea. I will do that for. I'm yeah. this week. I'm shipping my oldest off to college. My first one's leaving the nest. You and guys. Next week, my third one goes off, and I'm not as upset as Charnel. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Oh, well, I'm gonna totally I'll miss adjust. him. He's my funniest kid. I, 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 he's, he's in an asshole way. Like Grace is pretty damn funny too. But, but Braden's just—he's my only boy. Mm-hmm. I have a house full of girls. I'm losing some testosterone. Right, now. right. Uh, so this other tweet says, "I don't completely know how to explain this, but as a cat owner, you quickly learn that absence of cat chill and absence of cat suspicious are two very different kinds of silence." Hundred percent. Explain this to me. Um, because sometimes you're like, you hear something or something just seems, just seems off in the world with energy and you look and you realize the cat's, the cat's not where not she normally where, is. Ah, uh, yeah. And then it can be just, it's like leaving a toddler alone and hearing them be okay. very quiet for a okay. while. Okay. And this is when you come in and then all of a sudden you hear the loud noise and realize the cat has decided to one by one knock the candles down the mm-hmm. second story steps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she was getting ready to do it. And then there's another like, Oh, the cat's not here. It's very quiet, and and it, but you just sense everything's okay with the world, and she's sleeping up in the, your bed in your spot, curled up like she just wants you to come cuddle with her. Got ya. So see, it's an angel and a demon. Yep, the cat on each shoulder. Yes. You don't know which it is with the silence. That makes total sense. It's been a long time since I've owned a cat. Would so. you like one? No, <laughs> no. Jason will deliver her. <laughs> Matt will reject her. Fine. I would be fine with a cat. He's a, Matt's not such a. Oh he no, likes Jason cats. doesn't either. He, he just doesn't. Jason want them. doesn't like cats or want them. No. <laughs> Poor Jason. But I. Well, we have <laughs> but one. You have one. Well, COVID happened, and I came home with a kitten. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm sorry. Never had a cat in my it's whole life. Cat. I wanted a kitten. That's really funny. This is my comfort COVID kitten. I Thank you. It. I got it from Marie. I'm using air quotes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure she loves it. She's my cat. Yeah, for sure. Do you guys hear my dogs speaking up? I literally thought somebody was talking in the other room. No, they are. They're play fighting and they're so loud. Okay, this is funny. Do you see all this rosemary in this picture? If your cat sits on your computer keyboard halfway through an online shop, always check the basket when checking out. There are about, what would you say, 20 
rosemary packets? At least. There she is. was probably trying to buy one or two, yeah. and it sat on the plus sign. Sure did. It sat on the plus sign. Sure did. So there, there's that. Oh gosh, some so reading tweets online in this forum is hard. It is can't show pictures, but my cat woke me up at three a.m. fighting. So while they're trying to sleep it off, I think I'll spend the whole day vacuuming. Exactly. <laughs> so they have to run. Good for you, lady. Come as a yes. bitch. Cats yes. need to know that too. Oh god. Except for when I do it, I just take the hose and actually like suck her tail up while she's sleeping. She- <laughs> Did you like my impression? She looks over at me. She doesn't even run. She just looks at me like, the fuck do you what just do? You, do? What'd you do? You what just do suck you? my tail up in the vacuum? Right. What's it actually, wrong with actually you? It feels kind of good. You're the sick one. Yeah, can you get my back? <laughs> Liar. <laughs> right. Oh, how do you tell the mildly disgruntled blind senior street cat that took over your bedroom that he can't bite your face while you sleep? The answer is you don't. Like, what did you expect from him, to be honest? Of right. course he's going to bite your face in your sleep. <laughs> no. I think I, think I you don't, could. I don't want you to bite my face. In the words of Jason, Brain Bath Jason, I don't want you to bite me. <laughs> because I just don't. And if you are a Patreon, uh, you won't know what that means. <laughs> it's so true. This is why you should join Patreon, because you get... Statements like that from Brain Bath Jason. In she a said what she context. said. That's she right. said what she said. But I don't want you to bite me. Exactly. Oh shit! I'd forgot about it's that. A good one. way for us to end mm-hmm. with both of those statements for sure. <laughs> but I don't want you to bite me. She said what she said. Oh, guys, thank you so much for hanging in for these uh, two parters. Do not miss next week's three part. Three parter. You're not a freaking Patreon by now. You really need to be so that you can just get Dave's interview episode immediately. He you is really it. funny. We're going to continue to do interview episodes, by the way, um, as people agree to be on our show. Yep. Um, I haven't been turned down yet, so I'm feeling pretty lucky in that regard. Well, we're pretty special. But <laughs> if we do say so ourselves. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, and I've got another series of books that are coming up for an, a later, another deep dive. So and I have and one coming up, which I'm not going to give away, but it's been requested multiple times, once quite yeah. a while ago, and those ladies have been waiting, and then again recently, including possibly by Donna. So we'll mm-hmm. just leave that for what it's worth. But it's ready. Yeah. It will be ready uh, to record next sweet, weekend. Sweet, sweet. So we've got lots of fun things coming up. And uh, yeah, uh, we hope that in the meantime... Y'all keep it curious. And keep listening. Bye-bye.